There's a, outside the cigar shop was the, the statue of, uh, um, it was a wooden statue, Aboriginal with a full headdress. And uh, he had a name, and his name was Abner Robbins. And uh, anyways, the, um, uh, the vote was for the justice of the peace. And the candidate, Abner Robbins, was registered. And when the ballots were counted, Abner won over the incumbent, Sam Davis, by seven votes. The wooden, the wooden Indian won by seven votes. The same thing happened in 1938. The name Boston Curtis appeared on the ballot for Republican uh, committeeman from Wilton, Washington. Boston Curtis was a mule. And uh, the town's mayor wanted to prove that people knew very little about the candidates they were voting for, and he proved his point because the mule won. Now, the, uh, from this video clip that we just saw, the question is, uh, should the church be concerned with politics? Should we be addressing the issue of voting? Is voting an issue for us? And I would say to you a resounding yes, absolutely. The church absolutely needs to be concerned about our votes and, and understanding the power of our votes. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. Now, everybody knows what tomorrow is, right? What's tomorrow? What is it? Voting day? That's right. Tomorrow is Monday, and it is voting day. And uh, uh, we live in a, a country that's free, and we live in a country where uh, we take so much for granted. We we don't really have any problems here, uh, nothing major anyways. I mean, if you compare Canada to, say, Syria right now, uh, this uh, looks like a kindergarten here. It's, it's no problem, and no, everything's fine. And so here's what happens when, when things are going smoothly, when things are going fine. People tend not to care and not to get involved. And uh, the fact of the matter is, is that the freedom that we have here is, is something that we must not take for granted. Does everybody re realize that? Uh, last week, I was listening to the CNN just before the service, and um, CNN reported that uh, a whole group of Christians were in China were arrested because they were having a worship service. They were just gathering together to worship God, and uh, the, the secret police moved in and arrested everybody. And uh, I thought to myself at that moment, you know, the day, the day could come in Canada when that could happen to us as well, if we, that is, continue to be lazy about our faith, lazy about what we believe in, lazy in exercising the freedoms that are ours. Now understand this today. The church must be involved in politics. I'm not, I'm not saying that we should get involved in politics the way they did in the States back in the 70s and 80s. Some of you will remember Jerry Falwell who started an organization called the Moral Majority. How many remember that? Anybody remember the Moral Majority? It's uh, an organization basically that called Christians to vote for, for Republicans. That's what, it zero, that's what it sort of narrowed down to. And they would not say that. They would say that, that their goal was to get people to, to vote for that which was Christian, that, that which is is according to our values. Okay, on that, on that score, I've got no problem. But here's what happened, is that it became a very political movement where you would find uh, the term moral majority being synonymous 
with Christianity being synonymous with evangelical Christian being synonymous with the Republican Party. And so what happened was that evangelical Christians then became suspect by those who were not evangelical Christians. In fact, what happened was there was a backlash against evangelical Christianity that was with us to this day. The moral majority, I think, has been disbanded, but today the uh, evangelical Christian in North America is looked upon as being something uh, of, uh, well, being a dinosaur in, in our age, in our day and age. A, a dinosaur in a digital age. They see evangelical Christians as, as the enemy, somebody not to be trusted, somebody that needs to be treated um, as, as a potential enemy of society. Amazing how that happened. I don't want us to go away from here today to, to, to wave a political flag. What I want to see happen is I want to see us as Christians go from here waving the flag of Christ. Because at the end of the day, for every one of us who calls himself or herself a Christian, our job is to vote and make decisions based on the values that we learn from Christ. Does this make sense this morning? So I'm calling my message this morning how to vote. But in fact, if you wanted, if you, you know, if, if tomorrow wasn't voting day, then I would call my message today how to make decisions. And Jesus tells us clearly how we are to make our decisions. And so if you look at the scripture verse, we find this at the beginning of Jesus' uh, sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, found in uh, Matthew chapter 5. And if you would read along with me. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. So the question this morning is this. What does it mean to be salt and light? How does this enlighten our voting and our decision-making? Well, first of all, we need to understand what Jesus means when he talks about us being salt. And by the way, this is something that probably many of you have heard if you've been in the, in the church for any number of years. You, you've heard some sermon at some point along these lines, what, the, what salt is. And so I will say this to you this morning. The nature of salt is what Jesus is using as a metaphor for what you and I are called to be. Salt represents that which is pure. It represents that which brings out flavor it's that which preserves. These are the three main things that we see about salt, and this is why it was such a valuable commodity in Jesus' day. In fact, uh, oftentimes wages would be paid with salt. It just tells you how valuable salt was. So let's take a look at this then. Jesus has called us to be salt, and the very first thing then is that salt represents that which is pure. In, in Old Testament times, you find that during, during the uh, times of sacrifice, uh, the priest would add salt to that sacrifice because it represents what? That which is pure. It purifies the sacrifice. You and I are called to be a purifying presence in our culture. Did you know that? And here's the thing. When salt is present, you can almost always tell, unless you uh, overdose on salt on a regular basis, you probably need a little bit extra. My grandmother, when she decided that she wanted to lower her blood pressure, she stopped using salt altogether. She wouldn't touch the stuff. And so every time I would take her out for lunch, she'd say, oh, this soup is too, 
salty. Yeah, this sandwich is too salty. This coffee is even salty. As far as she was concerned, everything was too salty. Uh, she could taste it, just the slightest little bit of salt, and she could taste it. Now, here's the thing. Wherever there's salt in your food, you can taste it. You, can, you, can, you, can, you know instantly that this has, been, this has uh, uh, had salt added to it to bring out the flavor. I want the Spirit of God to speak to your heart today because here's the thing. This is exactly what God wants to do with you in the midst of our culture. He wants you and I to be agents of purity. He wants you and I to make a difference in our home, the place where we work, and yes, even at the voting booth. The person you vote for, folks, has got to be somebody that in your estimation measures up to the values that you believe in, the values of Christ, the values of purity. When you make a decision, when you, whatever you say, whatever comes out of your mouth, it has to reflect the holiness or the purity of Christ. And the question is this today, is that the case with you? Do the people around you feel comfortable telling you dirty jokes? Are you the one at work that's the first one to tell the dirty joke or to forward the dirty joke that you just saw? We wonder why today Christians have lost their significance and have lost their influence in our culture. Because at one time, we were respected for being followers of Christ. And what's happened in our day and age is that we have actually become like that salt that's been thrown underfoot and has been counted as worthless. You see, here's the thing. Those people that you know at work that know you're a Christian, they're actually looking for you to live like that. They're actually waiting for you and expecting you to live in a way that pleases and honors Jesus. And here's the thing. When you don't, when you drop the ball, when you laugh at that off-color joke, I can tell you they're watching you. They're watching your reaction. It's just like when I sit down with the kids and we watch TV, if something unsavory comes on right away, the kids' eyes automatically dart to me and Gloria. They want to know what my reaction is going to be. It could be a swear word. It could be an off-color joke. Or right away, it's, they want to know what my reaction is. As a parent, your responsibility and my responsibility is to make sure that we make it clear that we do not approve of that which is impure. That's what it means to be salt. This is, this is, this is Christianity 101. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where your Christianity actually begins to be practical, or the word is prudent. And it's interesting because that word salt is also translated as prudence or prudent. Now here's the thing. What do people think about you at your workplace? You know. You know what they think of you. Do they see you as that, that person who calls himself a Christian who can talk the talk, but when it comes right down to it, there is no difference. And the amazing thing to me is this, is that people who are not Christians... They have way higher standards than Christians do. Has anybody noticed that? They have a higher standard for you than you often have for yourself. They're expecting you to act like and to speak like a Christian. 
And this is what Jesus is talking about. You are the salt of the earth. And you, you have a responsibility to portray and to reflect the purity of Christ. This is, this is who you are. This is what you are. I, I, I was going for the longest time, I was going to a barber who is absolutely uh, not a Christ follower. And every time I'd come into the shop, he would, he would, if there were other guys in the shop, he would make sure he said something like this. Uh, Hello, uh, Pastor uh, Alan. And everybody's like, okay, we've got to watch what we say. Close that book. Don't look at that because the pastor's here. And uh, at first it kind of embarrassed me, but then I got to like it. <laughs> what, what power, what authority. Listen to me. Listen. It's a fantastic thing. When people know that you're a Christ follower and that you represent Jesus Christ. And it's a wonderful thing when your presence will influence the conversation and the activities of the people around you. Not that you're, you're, you're being judgmental or condemning. Remember, that's not what I'm talking about this morning. I'm not talking about judging or condemning anybody. I'm just talking about by your very presence, you have an effect on the people around you. And so it is when you go to the, to the voter voting booth. You see, you, you have to vote according to the values of Jesus Christ and not according to what is most, listen to me, what is most expedient for you. There's an old trick in politics, and it's, uh, it's pretty transparent, actually. Any thinking person can see through it, usually. And here it is. I will get you to vote for me by telling you what you want to hear. I will get you to vote for me by promising you things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to appeal to your selfish nature. Does that make sense this morning? As a Christian, your job is to be able to see through that. And the thing is this, is that if you are a follower of Christ, you should be able to see through that right like that. You see, your job as a Christian is not to vote for that which is most expedient for you personally, but what is best for us? What is best for our country? What is best for our family? What is best for our company? What is best for our class? What is best for our school? But we have increasingly become a self-centered people and a self-centered nation, and we as Christians have somehow, somewhere along the line, forgotten that our responsibility is to be a representative of Jesus Christ, being the salt of the earth. Now here's what, here's, here's what else salt does. It, it flavors society. You make a difference in your, in your culture. Now, anybody who looks at this would say, well, you know, salt is, is, a, is a stable compound, um, Sodium chloride, it, it doesn't lose its saltiness. It's impossible. Okay, well, here's the thing. In Jesus' day, the way that they would harvest salt was from the salt marshes. And so often what would happen when they, when they were harvesting that salt, they would take salt and some of the impurities in that marsh with it. And so here's, here's what would happen, is that if that salt was found to be diluted or if it was found to be um, uh, impure, having been, been contaminated by the marsh, then what would happen is that they would simply take that salt, and you know it, it says that right in the scripture there, it was thrown on the ground to be trampled on because it was worthless. Guess what, Christian? When you are not a stable, solid Christian, 
When you become tainted and diluted by this world, when you stop being concerned about what is important to Jesus Christ, that's when you become worthless. You lose your value. Because now, as Jesus would put it, you're neither hot nor cold. What do you do with lukewarm water? What do you do with it? Jesus said, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but because you're, you're neither, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Those are the words of Christ. He didn't think too much of it. Your job is to take a stand for Christ, to bring flavor to our culture, our society. And I'm going to tell you this. We always, we will always face the temptation of compromising. We will, that, that's, that'll be your number one problem from day to day is to compromise your values, to compromise your purity, to compromise what you believe in. And you know what I'm talking about. You hear, a, you hear a, a dirty joke, and let's be honest, the joke is actually funny. It's quite witty, and your, your, your first reaction is to actually have a good, good laugh out of it because it's funny, let's be honest. But the problem is, is that it's, it's what we'd say, we'd call off-color, unsavory, it's dirty, it doesn't reflect Jesus. Your job and my job is to reflect Christ wherever we are. Do not give in to the temptation to compromise our position and what we believe and what we stand for. Kevin Lamru, some of you know, goes to this church. He was at our first service. We prayed for him. His very first, almost his first day in Parliament, he was elected after... Um, Judy Washalise Elise gave up her, her seat. He ran for the seat in North Winnipeg, and uh, he won it. And almost his very first day in Parliament, there's a bill that's being presented, Bill C-510. And it's, some of you will remember it's called Roxanne's Law. And uh, here's, here's the scoop. In early 2007, Roxanne Fernando's boyfriend attempted to coerce her into having an abortion. He didn't want her to have their baby out of wedlock. And after backing out on the decision to abort her baby, Roseanne's boyfriend then chose to have her killed. When someone uses coercion, it can lead to violence. This is what the sponsor of this bill says. Roxanne's law will communicate to all Canadians that coercing a pregnant woman to have an abortion against her will is unacceptable in a nation that values human rights. Now, here's the, here's the problem for Kevin, is that it's not the way his party was voting. His party was not going to vote in favor of that bill. In fact, there's a number of conservative Christians who did not favor that bill. But, but here's Kevin Lamoureux, a backbencher, his, almost his first day in Parliament, and he's faced with a decision. Am I a liberal first, or am I a Christian first? It was a no-brainer for him, and he knew that on this he had to stand, even though it could possibly undermine his position in his party. He stood up and voted according to his Christian conscience. And I applaud Kevin for that. Because there were a lot of Christians who did not 
vote in favor of that because it wasn't politically expedient. Now, I want the Spirit of God to speak to your heart today because, listen, this is exactly the way you and I need to make decisions, and this is how we need to vote when you go to the, the polls tomorrow. You need to vote for that candidate who you know shares the values of Christ. Listen to me. It's not about what's best for you, but it's what's best for our country, what's best for our society, our culture. It's what represents Jesus Christ the best. Here in this writing, we're, the, the dividing line is just, just behind the church here somewhere between the north, writing that's uh, to the north and, and the, the writing that we're in here. And the candidate in this, um, I should say the incumbent in this writing, when the Youth for Christ wanted to establish a center in downtown Winnipeg, and, and some of you may know about that, uh, that, that candidate for this area voted against it very verbally. He was on the radio, and he was in the newspapers, and anybody who would listen to him, he gave his opinion about the church and Christianity and about this work. I hope that when you vote in this area, you will think about who you're voting for and think about the values that that candidate represents. You need to think clearly about this, and you need to get it right, because the Bible says that you and I are called to be salt and light in this world. And you'll be held in account for, for the decisions you make. Remember, it's not about what's best for you. It's what's best for our country, what's best for our community, what best reflects Jesus Christ. You and I are called to be a preservative in our society. Remember my mother canning pickles when I was a boy, and I was always bags of, of canning salt. I always wondered what that, what that was. In fact, I thought it was sugar once. I took a handful through my mouth and, and almost dropped dead right on the spot. <laughs> How many know salt does not taste good alone? <laughs> you and I are called to, to go out there and be salt. If salt loses its savoriness, if it loses its saltiness, it is actually quite... Worthless. It's really good for nothing. It's just white stuff. What are you? Are you a preservative factor in your society? Are you, is, is your presence where you are making a difference? I can tell you this, that those who know you're a Christian, they really, really expect you to act like one. Even those who maybe ridicule you or make fun of you, Secretly, under it all, they admire you. They admire you for the stance that you're taking. They admire you because they know in their hearts that what you believe in, what you stand for, is righteous and true. I read something very interesting about salt. And I think, man, this is fantastic. Did you know that every living creature needs a little bit of salt in his diet or its diet. If there is no salt in your diet at all, it can actually throw out of balance your electrolytes. 
The sodium ion itself is used for electro electrical signaling in your nervous system. And without that, you can actually drop dead. Did you know that? So here it is in our society, in our culture. Our society, our culture will die if you don't go forth as salt in Jesus' name. And we see cultures, we see societies dying all over the world today because of a lack of the presence of Jesus Christ. Remember, you are Jesus Christ, so broken and hurting world. You are Jesus Christ wherever you go. In your family, your workplace, in your community, at the voting booth. You need to make decisions based on what best honors and reflects Jesus Christ. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. I can tell you this right now. You can never be light unless you obey Jesus Christ and be the salt of the earth. That's what brings out the light in you. Christianity has sought to bring that light to, throughout the world. We have been condemned and judged for, for killing societies and cultures. You've heard that nonsense. Well, if you call going into India and, and rescuing the wives of Hindu men who have died, rescue these wives from the burning pyres of their husbands at the time of their death, and then I say, praise God. Praise God for Christianity. Praise God for undermining that culture, that so-called culture. Because that's what happened. Christian missionaries went into India and they discovered that when Hindu men died, their wives would be burned with them on their funeral pyre. Those Christians moved in and put a stop to that. And I can tell you story after story where Christians moved in and made a difference. You go over to Zambia today, you'll find a lot of Christian organizations that are rescuing the children whose parents have died of AIDS. And my question is, where are the other religions of the world? Where are the, where are the other political organizations of the world? I'll tell you, Christians are called to be salt and light in this world. That's who we are, that's what we do, and that's what we vote for. With all our heart, that's what we support. If you look at many of the hospitals, the, many of the universities, many of the learning centers, educational centers around the world, who started them? Almost always you're going to discover that it was the church, it was Christians who responded in obedience to Jesus Christ who said, you are the light of the world. Those little babies that are not wanted, it's Christians who move up, move in, and say, I'll, I'll take them. Mother Teresa stood in front of the, of the Congress of the United States of America, chastised the president for not doing something about abortion, and then he, she said this to all the politicians there, this little Christian missionary from India. She said, give me your unwanted babies. I'll take care of them. That's what Christians do. We are the salt and the light of the world. We go in where even angels fear to tread because we go in the power and the anointing of Jesus Christ. This is what you vote for. This is what you stand up for. Not for what best pleases you, but what is best 
for our culture? What is best for our country? What is best to honor and glorify Jesus Christ? Henry David Thoreau, an author, poet, philosopher, abolitionist, he said this. He said, there are a thousand hacking at the branches of evil to the one who is striking at the root. Can I say it again? There are a thousand hacking at the branches of evil to the one who is striking at the root. You know what he's saying? He's saying, well, you can go after the symptoms of evil. You can develop this program and that program and another program. We're going to develop this program for, for young offenders and this program for the, the programs. Program. What's, the, what's the real way to deal with the problems in our society? I'm going to tell you something. It's not the conservative, liberal, or NDP or Green Party that is the answer to the world today. These, these parties will try and do their best and, and, and praise God for that. But while they hack away at the branches of evil, we as a church of Jesus Christ, we as Christians are called to hack away at the root of evil. And my friends, the root of evil is in the heart of every human being. I can, I can persuade you. I may be able to persuade you to change your political persuasion, but what I really need to do is I need you to change your heart. Because that's, my friends, where revolution, true revolution takes place. That's when a change in society takes place, when your heart has been transformed by Jesus Christ. That's the answer, my friends. So don't panic about who's coming to power tomorrow, but rather get on your knees and pray and ask God to make you a blessing in your culture and in your society, in the place where you live, the place where you work. Ask God to make you the salt and the light wherever you go. I'm going to tell you that's the real need. That's the real need around us. Would you stand with me to pray, please?